The reading is from the book of John, chapter 13, verses 1 to 17. In the Church Bible, it's on page 1081. 1081. The book of John, chapter 13, verses 1 to 17. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel round his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, A person who has a had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not every one was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, For that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, You will be blessed if you do them. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I think my first memorable lessons in humility were my experiences of doing Bob a job with the Cub Scouts. Did anybody else do that? Where you'd wander the streets, knocking on doors, asking people if you could do a job for them, no matter how small, in return for what felt like hardly any money at all. Cub Scouts can't do it these days, quite rightly. Child safety and all that. But back in the early 80s, seemingly no one cared about child safety. (laughs) 
Back then, teachers would leave the classroom for what seemed like days to have a coffee or a smoke. I remember that. I would, I would play with my friends for hours in the nearby country park where we lived. Back then, things were different. And Bob a job happened. And I remember doing all sorts of chores for people, sweeping drives, clearing leaves, washing cars, retiling roofs. And it, and it was almost always in return for five pence. Now, of course, the clue was in the title. And I remember thinking, this is flawed. Why don't the scout leaders call it two pounds a job? I mean, it was just sense to me. Or better still, five pounds a job. But Bob a job it stayed, and so that's all people gave us. But I, I've, maybe I've told you this story before, but on one occasion we went and we uh, visited the parade of shops that were in the village, and we uh, knocked on the, uh, well, we went into the pharmacy, and uh, we asked the owner of the pharmacy if we could do some jobs, and he said, yes, you can clear the yard. Well, we went in the yard, you couldn't see the yard for boxes. So we cleared all these boxes out, and as we were clearing the boxes, we found a £10 note. £10 note. I looked uh, at the uh, inflation since then, and that would probably be worth about £40 these days. And um, so, you know, as a child, to, to find that money, that was amazing. And uh, we, we talked about it. There was four of us there clearing the yards, and some of the boys wanted to keep it. And I said, no, no, we don't own that. You know, we've got to give it in. So I thought we'd do the right thing. I regretted it. Because... <laughs> He didn't even say, thank you, boys. Thank you for being so honest. He didn't do anything like that. And we didn't get anything out of it. So I learned a great deal about humility back then. I became quite pleased with the way I learned to respond. So clearly I had some way to go. <laughs> but I was uh, struck yesterday in Bass Church Church, where um, when we were at uh, Mia's Priesting, and uh, I visited the loo, and I was in the queue, and right next to the, to the toilet was this huge memorial plaque celebrating someone's bequest to the church decades ago. And I thought, what humility to broadcast that for, to everybody who <laughs> visits the toilet, that this person gave £50 to be shared out to the poor in the parish every Christmas. There's nothing like humility, and that's nothing like humility. So how about you? Are you proud of your humility? It's a trap we all fall into. And how are you at serving other people? Do you love to serve? Or do you serve to be loved? Does serving come really naturally to you without even a hint of resentment, judgment or expectation? Do you think nothing of laying aside your own needs, wishes and position to serve those around you, your work colleagues, especially those lower down the chain of command, your family, your friends, your church community? Or are you constantly fighting with mixed motives? I know I am, and if you're not, then please, please come forward and you can preach this sermon instead of me. We see from this account from John's Gospel that humility and service are hallmarks of Jesus' own life and ministry. They ooze from him. And in true Jesus fashion, he tells his followers, including us, to live like him and to show the same humility and service towards others for his sake. But what does that entail? 
What does it involve? What's going on in this narrative account from John? And what light does it throw on how we're to live as disciples of Jesus? We're going to be looking at a piece of art, and there it is. hope you can see it okay. You may have seen this before. It's by Ford Maddox Brown, and it was painted in the mid-1800s. I bet you can't guess who Jesus is in that painting. You might see the halo there. Obviously, all the disciples could see the halo uh, on his head as he was washing Peter's feet. But this is a wonderful depiction of John's account, and it attempts to be very accurate. And so this painting will help us explore John's account. Firstly, I would like you to notice Jesus bowing and kneeling so that he's lower than the table and he's lower than the other disciples there. John tells us that Jesus took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel round his waist. You can see this in the painting. Interestingly, though, the original painting showed Jesus without his outer clothing. But there was such an outcry, as you can imagine, in the mid-1800s for depicting Jesus almost naked, heaven forbid, that Ford Maddox Brown then had to rework the painting so that Jesus was covered. But by depicting Jesus bowing and kneeling so low, Ford Maddox Brown reveals the humiliation of Jesus' actions. Foot washing was reserved for Gentile slaves. This was demeaning work for a rabbi. Only occasionally would disciples wash the feet of the rabbi. So the actions of Jesus are not just a symbolic act in which Jesus poured a little bit of water on Peter's feet. Look at the painting and how Jesus is washing them thoroughly. He's totally involved. It's not just a token gesture. The dirt and grime have been removed over the basin, and now he's drying them with the towel. Jesus was serving Peter. He was caring for him. He was meeting a physical need, washing and refreshing Peter's tired, smelly, sweaty, dirty feet. The point Jesus is making is clear. In the kingdom of God, the roles and values of this world are reversed. The last shall be first, and the first shall be last. The greatest shall be brought low, and the lowly shall be lifted up. Love is shown in sacrifice, humility, and service, not through power, status, and selfishness. But more than this, God chooses to serve in the ordinary Just think of the simple, the basic words used by John in the account. Meal, clothing, towel, water, basin, wash, dry, clean, not dry clean. So often we're preoccupied, aren't we, with the special, the lavish, the important, the finest things we can do with and for Jesus. And there's no doubt a place for that. Don't mishear me. But we do miss, quite often, Jesus in the ordinary, in the opportunity to serve or to encounter him in the day-to-day stuff. Jesus showed that everything and everyone is charged with the potential to reveal God. The question is, are our hearts open to that possibility? By washing, bowing, 
serving. Jesus demonstrated that he knew his place in the grand scheme of things. He came as God's servant to sacrifice his life once for all upon the cross, to show what God's love looks like. And John gives us these words. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he'd come from God and was returning to God. In the light of these words, it's extraordinary that Jesus then chose to reveal that power in such humility and service. At what had been something of a farewell meal, Jesus gives a farewell post-dinner speech, but he does it without words, with actions that speak far louder. John tells us that Jesus knew his place in the grand scheme, so he got up and he wrapped a towel around his waist. Do you know your place in God's grand scheme? Do I? I wonder. Franklin Roosevelt used to have a little ritual with the famous naturalist William Beebe. After an evening's chat, the two men would go outside and they'd look into the night sky. Gazing at the stars, they would find the lower left-hand corner of the big square of Pegasus. One of them would recite these words as part of their ritual. That is a spiral galaxy of Andromeda. It's as large as our Milky Way. It's one of a hundred million galaxies. It's 750,000 light years away. It consists of 100 billion suns, each larger than our sun. They would then pause and Roosevelt would finally say, now I think we feel small enough. Let's go to bed. Have you grasped how small you are? Have you accepted the radical, upside-down order of the kingdom of God? Have you embraced the sacrificial love of Jesus? Have you asked for your roles and values to be transformed so that they reflect the kingdom of God? And have we done the equivalent of getting up from the meal to which Jesus has invited us to do as he did, to humble ourselves and serve others in the ordinary, the everyday, the basic, and the simple. Secondly then, I want you to look at how Peter on the right there of the painting is clearly not enjoying the experience. His hands are clenched together, he's glaring, he's frowning, he's definitely not relaxed. You will never wash my feet, he said. John tells us. He doesn't agree with Jesus' approach. Jesus is far too important in Peter's eyes to stoop to such a task, and he's reluctant as a participant. He takes part, but he does so in a sulk. Peter can't get his head round the impropriety of having his feet washed by his master. I wonder how often we're involved with what Jesus is doing as reluctant participants. We don't like the idea of it. It's too different, radical, challenging. It's just not British. And yet Jesus says, join in. And so we do, but in a bit of a sulk, reserving the right. We're there, but we're glaring, frowning. 
I'm sure we've all done it. I know I have. Or maybe we're doing it right now. Jesus, though, responds to Peter very clearly. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Being washed and served by Jesus is essential to being counted as one of his followers, as one of his own. For the disciples of Jesus in their Jewish context, this statement would mean something like this. Unless I wash you, you cannot share in my inheritance. My inheritance, the promised feast, the resurrection, the kingdom of God, all that I'm about, all, the, all that I'm part of. These words of Jesus hold power for us too. Are we prepared to be served and washed by Jesus? In what way might Jesus be asking to serve or wash you today? Unless Jesus washes you, unless he serves you, you cannot share in his inheritance. Truly following Jesus first involves being served by him. Thirdly then, you'll notice behind Jesus and Peter, like a bar across the top of the painting, are the disciples looking on. Now their expressions, you might, I'll leave this painting up afterwards, you can come and have a closer look, and you can look on the internet if you have access to that, you'll see it in much uh, more clarity on a screen close up. But their expressions portray a range of responses from intrigue to total dismay at what they're witnessing. One disciple is holding his head in horror. Another is biting his hand nervously. One disciple has his arm around another who's clearly in shock. Although he's offering comfort, his eyes are actually away from Jesus to the disciple on the far left. Now the disciple on the far left, you'll see, is already loosening the straps of his sandals. He wants to be part of this radical, unusual, challenging experience. He wants to be served by Jesus. But next to him, on the table, lies a bag of coins. Maybe this is Judas, who despite following Jesus so closely, fails to grasp who Jesus really is and what he's truly doing. I wonder which response best sums up your own response to Jesus in all this. Are you horrified at the idea of Jesus serving you? Perhaps you're nervous of what it means. Maybe you're preoccupied with comforting others as they struggle to come to terms with all that Jesus is doing, all that he's inviting us into, all that he's asking of us. Maybe you're so focused on offering to, to support those who are shocked by Jesus' radical approach that your eyes have actually been drawn away from Jesus. Or perhaps the initial enthusiasm of Judas strikes a chord, and yet you know the pain of failure despite your good intentions. Even though you look to follow Jesus closely, you struggle to grasp who he really is, what he's doing, and why it is that he wants to serve you. Or maybe, like me, you're a mixture of all these responses. Horror, shock, comfort, looking elsewhere, enthusiastically failing. So if that was the third dimension we see in the painting and the gospel, then a fourth and final one is this. You'll notice that the image 
of Jesus washing Peter's feet takes up around about 80 to 90% of that painting. Everything and everyone else is background. Ford Maddox Brown is hinting here at a thought that comes out very strongly in John's account. And it's this, the example of Jesus. When Kate and I got married, an old family friend who was also my piano teacher for years gave us a tapestry which named Kate and myself and the date of our marriage. It's beautiful and it must have taken her hours to make. I know because when I was at school, I had to do needlework for a whole school year. That was when the teacher was in the classroom. Now, one of the things we did at school was a simple needlework tapestry. But I didn't start from scratch. I had a pattern. I had the design which showed which thread was to go where. The pattern had to be followed very carefully, stitch by stitch. Now, in verse 15 of chapter 13 of John's Gospel, Jesus talks about giving his disciples a pattern to copy. I have set you an example that you should do what I have done for you. Having washed the feet of his friends, Jesus tells them that he's shown them the pattern to copy. And Ford Maddox Brown is portraying this in his painting. This is the example of Jesus. It's a demanding pattern to follow. Make no mistake. It requires that we look away from ourselves towards the world we are to serve. It also shows that following the example of Christ means being willing to meet the needs of the world through the menial, the unpleasant, and slave-like tasks. But this pattern also points to a greater challenge still, the challenge to follow Jesus all the way to the cross and to lay our lives down in order to serve God and the world he loves so very much. I have to say that this is such a demanding aspect of following Jesus. It's not easy at all, whatever way we look at it. We need his help. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, help us to know our place in your grand scheme. Enable us to accept the radical upside-down order of your kingdom and to embrace your sacrificial love. Transform our roles and values so that they reflect your kingdom. Make us people of humility who are willing to get up from the meal to which you've invited us to serve others in the ordinary, in the everyday, in the simple. Free us up to be willing participants in all that you're doing, to be served by you so that we can share in your inheritance. Strengthen us to come to terms with all that humility and service asks of us. Help us in our responses. And finally, Lord, please work on our hearts so that we're better able to copy your pattern for living. We need your inspiration and we need your love and we need your guidance. Amen.